You knew that, didn't you? (laughs) Ephesians chapter number 4. Well, last week we spoke about seven, seven pillars, doctrinal truths upon which the Lord's church must stand. Tonight, beginning in verse 7 down through verse number 12, we're going to speak about grace gifts. Grace gifts. Let's read through the section and get the connection with each verse, and then we'll look at them individually. Verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ, And wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? And he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. If I said tonight this is a charismatic church, it would probably raise some eyebrows. It might even anger a few folks. It certainly would lead to some questions and discussion. And all of the confusion comes as a result of misunderstanding the word charismatic. Most of the time we associate that word with a certain religious movement. Uh, People that believe that all of the spiritual gifts are still operative today. We call those folks charismatic. That would be the Assemblies of God and the Pentecostal and so on and so forth. If we are to resolve this matter, we have to remember that words can be used in more than one way. I think the perfect example of that is the word gay. That is an extremely good word, great word, and uh, uh, everybody used it, you know, in the normal way for many years. When I was a boy, if you said, you know, I'm gay, it meant you were happy and carefree and so forth. But uh, unfortunately, that word has been hijacked and misused, and, and uh, now it refers to, a, to homosexuality, a sinful lifestyle. Well, even so, when we think about the word charismatic, it's generally used in reference to what we would refer to as false doctrine. But in reality, the word charismatic is actually a very good word. It means grace gifts, or you could interpret gifts of grace, or grace in action. And and that's exactly what... uh, what these verses are talking about, grace in action, God's gifts of grace. In verse number 7, we, uh, our attention is called to the definition of, of, of a spiritual gift. Notice, 
He says, unto everyone is given grace according to the measure of the faith of Christ. If I'm not mistaken, a year or so ago, I, I, I think I preached an entire message on that one verse and there's so many things that could be said about it. And as, as we get down to the next verse and speaking about the descent of Christ into the earth and his ascension back into heaven and all of that, obviously there are a lot of things that we could talk about in relationship to that, but we want to keep our focus tonight on on the main on the main context, and it has to do with the gifts that we have received of the Lord. And here in verse seven, we find that spiritual gifts are special abilities that God has given to believers. A spiritual gift is 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 a power or we might use the word the endowment the endowment by the holy spirit to equip believers for christian service now this is not the same as natural ability you hear people talk about so and so was born with certain natural abilities and you know that's true there's not any doubt about that and I wouldn't discount that as, you know, being a gift from God, but that's not the same as the spiritual gifts because when we talk about the spiritual gifts, these are things that go beyond our own capabilities. These are things that regardless of how hard you try, you'll never be able to cultivate and create and and be able to do yourself. These are things that God enables you to do that ordinarily that you could never do, at least not in a way that is acceptable to God. In the New Testament, there are three different sections that deals with spiritual gifts. There's Romans chapter number 12. We're not going to turn there, but that's one section where he deals with several of the spiritual gifts. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter number 14, all of that section of the letter has to do with spiritual gifts. And you'll remember the church at Corinth, of course, they had a lot of problems due to their immaturity, their misunderstanding of spiritual gifts. There were some that were envious of the others, you know. They saw so-and-so had a certain spiritual gift, and they wanted that gift instead of what God had given them. And so it had created quite a division in the church. And so that's why Paul spends three entire chapters dealing with the matter of spiritual gifts. Well, we come to Ephesians here in our text tonight, chapter number 4, and again we see a smaller section pertaining to the matter of spiritual gifts. Now, those mentioned here in Ephesians, and we'll talk about this in just a little bit, but here's what I want you to notice. The gifts mentioned in Ephesians, notice he says, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. This speaks about spiritually gifted men who are given as gifts to the church. In the other instances where he's speaking about spiritual gifts, it has to do with gifts that are given to Christians. Spiritual gifts or in in, in, uh, enablements, I'll get it out in a minute, enablements given to Christian people. But here, the great emphasis on the fact that the apostles and the evangelists and prophets and so forth, that these are gifts that God has given to the church. So it's not just about the ability of the person holding that particular office. 
the emphasis upon the fact that God has given these men to the church. And we're going to talk about why here in just a little bit. But notice in the dispensing of the gifts. Now, you understand the definition of it then, right? It's God giving you the ability or the enablement, the endowment to do something that ordinarily that you could not do. It's something that you was not born with. It was not something naturally acquired. It was something that God gave you in order to fulfill His purpose in your life. Now, we see the dispensing of these gifts in verses 8, 9, and 10, and there are three or four very obvious things that I want to point out. First of all, you'll notice that they come from God. It says, notice, He ascended on high and He led captive, ca- captivity captive, but notice, He gave gifts unto men. Now, you know, man can imitate these gifts, but no man can duplicate these gifts. In other words, somebody can pretend that they have one of these particular spiritual gifts, but they cannot duplicate what God would do were He in control of the situation. And these gifts are dispensed by the sovereign will of God. And he deals with that in 1 Corinthians in chapter number 12. In fact, let me read in verse number 11 to show you exactly what I mean. Because a lot of times we get the idea, you know, well, I I would really like to do this or be that. And so we pray about it and God enables us to do it. But notice what he says in verse 11 of that chapter. But all of these worketh that one and selfsame uh, spirit divideth, dividing to every man severally as he will. And, and so these are God-given gifts. In, in other words, it's not based on the desire of man. And we have no right to, you know, to try to dictate to God concerning what particular gifts that we want to have. I mean, that's God's choice. I, I, I didn't choose to be a preacher. I you know, in fact, if God had given me the choice, uh, it would have been something else other than a preacher. Now, I'm, I don't say that by way of complaining about it, understand, but it's certainly something that I would have never chosen for myself. It was something that God chose for me and God that God has, by His grace, enabled me to do. So whenever we look around and we think of others and the way that God uses them, instead of being envious of them, we ought to be thankful for the gifts that He has given us. Because you notice He says He has given to every man, every person, every Christian has some gift. Uh, You are uniquely suited by God to do something. And so there's there's nobody here tonight, no Christian here, who can say, well, God doesn't have anything for me to do, you know. He just hasn't given me any kind of gift whatsoever. So regardless of what kind of gift it is we're talking about, we need to understand that it's something that comes from God, but not only does it come from God, but it comes by grace. And now that's important because it means there's no room for pride, We have no reason to boast about, you know, what we do or who we are or what office we hold. And uh, it's God's grace that put us in this position. So being less talented or more talented 
does not make us better or worse than somebody else. We're simply different. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, I like, uh, uh, you know, I like a certain style of, of preaching. You know, down, way down in the deep south, you know, if you don't preach a certain way, well, they think you haven't, haven't preached. I mean, you've got to spit and sputter and beat the pulpit and run around a little bit and, you know, uh, just, uh, you, you just gotta get up there and pitch a fit, as the old timers used to say. And if you haven't done that, they don't think you've preached. Now, you can get up there and do that and, uh, and have the, the the most simple, nonsensical message in the world, and they think, oh, that's wonderful, because, you know, they base it all on the emotion that's involved in it. But then there, you know, are other different kinds of preachers. You know, there are those that, boy, they've got all of the spit and the polish, and I mean, they pronounce every word just perfect. I, I, I wish I could do that. I can't. I, I don't. And uh, But there are some people that can do that. And uh, there are some people, you know, that are very analytic. Some are more, uh, you know, on the emotional side of the issue. So there are all kinds of different kinds of preachers. One of the mistakes that young preachers make is in trying to imitate the preachers that they admire. And I've seen it happen so many times. You see some young preacher get up, you know, and try to imitate a preacher that he heard in a conference somewhere. Boy, you talk about making a fool out of yourself, you know, uh, that's the quickest way to do it. When I was teaching in Bible college, I always told the young guys, I said, one of the main things you can do is you you be you. Be yourself. Don't you try to copy somebody else. You see, regardless of who you are tonight, you don't need to feel inferior or you don't need to feel superior to anybody else because they can't do what you do. Because we're all gifted in different ways and it's the result of grace. It's not something that we earn. You know, it's not because, well, I've been faithful for so many years and I've done this and I've done that, so God gave me a promotion and He made me a pastor. That, that's not the way it works at all. So our gifts come from God and they come also by grace, but they come for service. In other words, they're not for showmanship. They're not for personal profit in any any way whatsoever, the reason we have the gifts that we do is in order that we can serve the Lord. But also, notice that these come through the Holy Spirit. We call them spiritual gifts. As I've been saying, they are the enablements, the endowments of the Holy Spirit who equips us and endues us for spiritual service, gives us the ability to do His will. I remember preaching a sermon. I think I actually got the title of it from a thought that A.W. Tozer or C.S. Lewis had made. And the title of the message that I preached was The Can-Do God. He is the can-do God. And and that has to do with the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, as I was talking about this morning. Whatever it is the Word of God demands from us, the Spirit of God enables us to do. And so when we think about these gifts, you know, uh, we need to understand that these gifts operate through the Holy Spirit. 
You know, if the Lord had said to me, look, I want you to be a preacher, well, you know, my first thought was, boy, you've got the wrong guy because I'm not qualified, I'm not, you know, I'm not able to do that. I felt kind of like Moses, even though at that stage of my life, I didn't even know that story, didn't know anything about Moses when the Lord called him. And, you know, he said, who am I? You know, I, I'm not able to, to speak. I, you know, uh, I, I'm, I don't have the ability to do that. But God always equips us to do whatever it is he calls us to do. So here we see the dispensing of these spiritual gifts. They come from the Lord and by grace for service and through the Holy Spirit. It's not something you're going to get in Bible college. It's not something you're going to acquire from practice. Now, you can improve your singing. You can improve your playing an instrument. You can improve in a lot of different ways. But when we're talking about spiritual gifts, these are not things that are naturally acquired and they're not things that, that we do ourselves. It's what God does through us. Now, look at verse 11 because here we see the emphasis is on the diversity the diversity of spiritual gifts. Uh, and in and, and this case, talking about the gifts to the church. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, it's really difficult to be dogmatic about the actual number of spiritual gifts. I'm not sure that anybody really knows. I'm not sure that we can know but what is clear from the Bible is that some spiritual gifts are temporary while some of them are permanent. By temporary, I mean that some of the spiritual gifts that God gave are gifts that were what, what I've often referred to as sign gifts. These were gifts to authenticate, uh, the, you, you know, the person is the messengers of God. And the first thing that comes to my mind was the gift, the ability to speak in other languages. And there in Acts chapter number 2, God gifted those people so they could speak in other languages. And that, you know, affirmed the fact that they were indeed the messengers of God. Because let's face it, anybody could go out here on the street and say, God sent me and I've got a message for you. So God enabled them to do something that they couldn't ordinarily do. Because these were languages they did not know. It's not something they studied that, you know, like missionaries do today to learn a particular language so they can go to that field and preach the gospel. God just enabled them to preach the gospel to those from other nations. And so these are credential gifts, and, 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 and they were temporary uh, in the sense that, that they served their purpose up until the completion of the Word of God. First uh, Corinthians chapter number 12 deals with this, and I'll just give you a couple of examples of what we're talking about. He says, whether there be prophecies, they shall cease, and whether there be tongues, they shall fail. In other words, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecies, he said, you know, those are going to cease. Well, we don't need those gifts any longer, you know, after the, uh, after the completion of the Word of God and the death of the, of the apostles, those gifts are no longer needed. But but there are certain gifts that are indeed needed. So whenever we look at these gifts and we think, for example, about the apostles and we think about the prophets that are mentioned here, we know that those are offices that no longer exist. 
Oh, I know that you can find some preacher that calls himself apostle this or apostle that. And many of them will speak about being a prophet of God. But I'm telling you, they are not prophets of God. They are not apostles by any stretch of the imagination. So some of those spiritual gifts have gone by the wayside. But but whenever we look at these others and we think about uh, uh, pastors and evangelists and teachers, these are gifts that, based on what the Bible teaches elsewhere, these are gifts that are of a permanent nature. And the function of these gifts is very clear here. These gifts have to do with their ministry unto the church. Now, I'm not saying that he deals with all of the gifts. Remember, we started out by saying that he has given gifts unto all men, so they're, you know, all, we're all gifted in different ways. But what he mentioned here, mentions here has to do with the gifts to the church. So, you know, whether it's a, a teacher in the church or the pastor of the church or a missionary from the church, uh, those are gifts that God has given to the church. Whether you think of them as gifts or not, you might think about, you know, me being the plague instead of a gift and, you know, whatever. But, you know, God says I'm a gift, you know, to the church. He's given me to the church. And so, uh, and, and Brother Kenneth and these teachers and what have you. And uh, the evangelists, by the way, are what we call missionaries. They are evangels. And, and you hear so much today about, well, evangelist so-and-so. For example, evangelist Billy Graham. And we think about all of these different evangelists. And, and all they do, in fact, uh, most of them are not even sponsored by any particular uh, church. They're just, they, they, they freelance. In other words, they have their, their own organization. Uh, the church has nothing to do with it. They're not controlled, but, you know, that tells me immediately God doesn't have anything to do with it because He established the church and it's through the church that the Lord uh, does His work and He's authorized the church to oversee His work. But, nevertheless, you have these kind of so-called evangelists. That's not what we're talking about at all here and I think there's no justification for that particular so-called ministry. Uh, there is justification for what we call missionaries, those evangels that go out to proclaim the good news as the, as the word implies. So when it comes to the pastors and the teachers, these are, are those who feed the flock of God. These are those that God has gifted in order to Feed the church, and he makes that very clear, and we're going to deal with that here in just a minute as we look at verse number 12, because now we move from talking about the diversity of the gifts to the design of spiritual gifts, and we'll understand why God does what he does. Notice verse 11, these are the gifts given to the church, the apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers. Now notice here's the reason of the design. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, there's a lot of confusion about this particular verse. Because some consider, you know, it only as a 
as a list of the pastor's duties. In other words, they look at that and they say, you know, there's no, this speaks about nobody but the pastor and his duties and his responsibility. And that's why a lot of folks, you know, have the idea that they pay the pastor to do all of the work. And, you know, it's just their job, you know, to offer their assistance and pay his salary so he can do it. But if you look at the context here, we see that that the entire church body is to be involved. Just jump down to verse 16 for just a minute. And notice he says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which joint uh, every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, and maketh increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. So that tells me that every member of the church has a function. Every member of the church is important. But notice here whenever he talks about the pastor and the teachers, and notice what he says, for the perfecting of the saints. That has to do with maturity. And that word perfecting speaks about completeness or maturity. And, and, and notice, so my job is what? To feed the sheep so that the sheep will grow spiritually. And then notice he says, for the work of the ministry. In other words, as the pastor feeds the sheep, that's his primary responsibility. Not getting out here knocking on doors, not running up and down the street, not doing this, not doing that. Contrary to what you think, the primary responsibility of the church is not even visiting the sick. Why is it that people always get mad at the preacher because he's not there when they get sick Whenever the Bible very clearly points out that the deacons were appointed for that position, and I never hear anybody say, well, I'm mad I'm going to a different church because none of the deacons come to see me. You know, I'm not, look, I'm not saying the pastor shouldn't be there. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the church shouldn't expect him to be at everything that's going on. And, you know, every time somebody's sick, my main job is to feed the flock. And that's... That's got to stand head and shoulders above everything else I do. And the reason I do it is to help the members of the church mature spiritually. But but notice the reason for that. Notice here he says, for the work of the ministry. In other words, it's my job to help you with your job. For the work of the ministry. And this last phrase then describes what happens as a result of that. If I do my job and you're doing your job, notice it's for the edifying. That's the building up of the body of Christ. And so, you know, it's easy to see that understanding this verse is absolutely crucial to the welfare of the church. Because let me tell you, there are a lot of preachers that have burned themselves out trying to do everything under the sun, you know, trying to win the admiration of the people. And I can remember very well whenever we started the church in Fairgrove, Missouri, and, boy, we didn't have anything. We started out meeting in, in our home, in fact, and just people packed in a little old living room, and we finally got a little rented building and outgrew that. We were bursting out the seams there, and so we bought a piece of property, but... 
But then we didn't have a building, so we just cut down some trees, made a brush arbor, and we met under that. Well, finally we got enough money we could pour a concrete slab, and then we got enough money we could buy a few uh, 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 cement blocks, and so we started laying blocks. And, you know, I was working at a full-time job and trying to be the pastor of the church, and I didn't want to disappoint any of the people. I wanted to set a good example. So if they were laying blocks, even though I'd never laid blocks, I got out there and helped. When we put the roof on the building, I'd never put a roof on a building, but I got out there and helped. Let me tell you, there are a lot of preachers that have caved in to the whims of churches, and they're, they're nothing more than glorified janitors. I, I, I've been away in revival meetings, and I could name some names of some preachers that, that you folks would know. And let me tell you, it is a shame and a disgrace uh, what those men, I, I started to say what those men have to do. And the point is they don't have to do it. They're doing it because they are afraid to stand up in the face of the congregation saying, you know, and say, I'm not going to do your job for you. If the roof is leaking and you don't want to fix it, why well, just bring a raincoat because you're going to get wet. Because I'm not getting up there doing it. I'm going to spend my time preparing sermons and being ready to feed the flock. Now, please don't misunderstand that. I'm not saying that a preacher ought to ever think that he is so good that he shouldn't get his hands dirty and and help whenever it's needed. I, I hope I haven't left that impression because that's not what I mean at all. But I do mean that his primary concern has to be ministering to the flock that they can grow spiritually so that they can do the work that results in the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. So this is the design of spiritual gifts. This is why they're given, not so we can brag about what we do. Now, that brings us down to another thing that I want to talk about, and actually it's not discussed here, but it's something we need to talk about anyway, and that has to do with the discovery of spiritual gifts. And uh, I, I say that because... Uh, because some writers have written books on this, and they've, they've uh, constructed charts and graphs and things of that nature, and preachers have a series of lessons on how to discover your spiritual gifts. And let me tell you something. All of them I've ever looked at, and I've had preacher friends that have done this, and all of it that I've ever looked at does nothing but add to the confusion God has three means of guiding us. Three main means of guiding us. Number one, from the Bible. From the Bible. And, and, and the first thing we ought to do is become acquainted with the Bible. You know, see, so many times whenever we read the Bible, we just look at it from the standpoint of history. And we just think about gathering up the information that is recorded there, and we think that's all there is to it. But that's not all there is to it. When we read the Bible, God speaks to us from the Bible. He really does. And there's so many times that regardless of where you are, as you're reading the Bible, God impresses certain things upon your heart, and, and it's, it's as though He's saying to you, that's meant for you. I, you know, I, I'm talking about you. That's what I want you to do. So if you're not familiar with the Word of God, 
then you might be confused about what you ought to do. The second, the second means that God uses has to do with the Holy Spirit. Now we've got to really be careful here because of the fact that many have so misused this. They, they say, well, the Spirit just led me to do this or led me to do that. And you know, if you're not careful, you can justify just about anything by saying, well, the Spirit of God, and God gets blamed for a lot of stuff He didn't do. You know, the Spirit of God led me here. The Spirit, you know, I could slit somebody's throat and say, well, the Spirit of God let, you know, just led me to cut his throat. You know, uh, he's a bad guy, and so the, the Lord just made me the executioner. So we gotta really be careful about this. But but here's the point. The Holy Spirit is never going to lead you contrary to what the Word of God teaches. And we need to understand that. Because there have been people, I've heard people over and over again say, well, you know, I just prayed about it and the Lord just gave me peace, you know, that I ought to do this or I ought to do that, when it was very clear. In fact, I have taken the Bible and turned and showed them, look, what does it say right here? What is it? Well, I know that's what it says, but I prayed about it, and God gave me peace about it, and so that means it's all right if I do it. No, it's not. If it conflicts with the Word of God, it didn't come from the Spirit of God, and we need to understand that. Now, one of the keys, one of the keys to being led of the Spirit has to do with being willing to do the will of God. There, there's there's a, a verse that you ought to think about. It's found over in John chapter 7, verse 17. Now listen to what Jesus said. If any man will do his will, let, let me just stop a minute. Not very many will. Now, most people today will not do the will of God. They might do some of the things God wants them to do, but not many people will make an unconditional surrender and do anything God wants them to do. But Jesus said, if any man will do the will of God, he shall know of the doctrine that is of the teaching, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. In other words, if you want to know the will of God, you've got to be willing to do the will of God. I, I, I like what uh, what the Apostle Paul said over in Philippians 2.13, for it is God, now think about this, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now notice there's two things there. God's working in you both to will and to do. In other words, it's God that stimulates you to do it and God that strengthens you to do it. And whenever I think about God calling me to preach, it was God that put that desire in my heart. It was God that stimulated me to do it, but it was also God that strengthened me or enabled me to do it. That's true of every one of us. It's God that worketh in you both to will. He gives you that willing heart to do it, and then He enables you to do it also. So the Spirit of God is perfectly capable of making the will of God known to his children. Now, we come to a third a third area. Uh, is that a... Uh, oh, okay. We come to a third area. 
that normally gets totally overlooked. In fact, you almost never hear anything said about this. In addition to the Word of God, and remember, we're talking about God providing guidance for the use of spiritual gifts. And, and, and in addition to the Word of God and the Spirit of God is the Lord's church. And a lot of people don't realize that the church is a means to provide guidance for our life. You know, I've discovered over the years a lot of times the leaders of a church are often more able to detect a person's spiritual gift even before the person is aware of it. There have been instances where I've spoke to somebody about uh, uh, about maybe teaching the class. And there have been so many, and I just know, I just know this is the person God laid on my heart. I've watched them. I just know that they have the ability to do it. I'm confident after prayer that God wants them to do it. And I've gone to people like that, and they said, oh, I can't do that. I I can't do that. Yes, you can. I, I mean, look, if God put it on my heart so strong that you can do it and you should do it, then you ought to do it. And, and, and listen, we, we need to learn to look to the church for guidance. Think about it. Churches call pastors. This church exercised its authority and called me as their pastor. This church ordains deacons. This church elects officers. This church appoints teachers. All of that requires discernment on the part of the church. And, and, and it boils down to a matter, are we going to trust the ability of the church to discern the will of God? Well, well, if we don't, everything is up in the air. Everything's open to question. I mean, should I be here? Maybe, maybe this last 27 years or whatever it is now, maybe I should have been somewhere else. I mean, after all, if the church is wrong, then... Maybe I should have been somewhere else, or maybe we got the wrong guys in as deacons, or maybe our teachers ought not to be where they're at, and our offices are all in the wrong place. The Bible clearly teaches that the Lord has commissioned the local church to do His work, and that means that we need to learn to depend upon the counsel of the church in, in order for giving direction or guidance in our lives. And, and the same thing's true when it comes to, we're talking about spiritual gifts. And uh, I'll guarantee you, I'm not going to recommend somebody to do something if, you know, looking from afar and observing their life. And I, you know, I, I, th- I think to myself, uh, you know, after observing their life, now remember, They're just as good, just as needful as anybody else in the church. So this is not putting them down. But after observing their life, and it's very evident they don't have the ability to do it, I'd be doing a terrible injustice to the church to say, well, I really like them, you know, one of my fishing buddies. I'm going to put him in anyway. We don't operate that way. So we've got to trust the leadership of the church to make these decisions. Now, one last thing tonight I want to talk about, and again, this is something that's not alluded to a great deal here or anything like that, but it's important, and that has to do with the development of spiritual gifts because after we discover our gift, we need to dedicate ourselves 
to using that gift. And, and you know, the very existence of a gift is evidence that it ought to be exercised. That is the very thing that prompted Paul to say to Timothy, neglect not the gift that is in thee. And then he said, remember, stir up the gift of God which is in thee. You see, the exercise of a gift increases as we use it and makes us more effective in the work of the Lord. Now, here's a really strange thing. We think about the church at Corinth we talked about earlier, and they had all of these problems. But in the very first chapter of the first letter, we learned this. He said, you come behind in none of the spiritual gifts. They had every spiritual gift that existed. They did not lack any of them. It was not for a lack of gifts. It was the misuse of the gifts that created problems for them. And so if God has gifted you in a certain area, you'll notice that as you use that gift, God will make you even more effective in what you do, and that will make the church more effective in what it does. Remember, going back to what we talked about, that verse we read earlier from 1 Corinthians, you know that that the the church is like a body, and he talked about every member, you know, uh, supplying some need in the church, talked about the joints being compacted together, we're united and we're working in harmony one with another. You you see, we're all different, but we're all working for the same thing. We just serve different functions. Many years ago, I ran across uh, just a brief article. It was actually from a sermon or a book by... Uh, by a fellow of the name of A.T. Pearson. You probably never heard of him, but he used to be quite popular. But uh, he, he wrote just a little statement pertaining to spiritual gifts. And I want to close with reading this quote. He said, Everyone has some gift, therefore all should be encouraged. No one has all gifts, therefore all should be humble." All gifts are for the one body, and therefore all should be harmonious. All gifts are from the Lord, and therefore we should be contented. All gifts are mutually helpful and needful, and therefore we should be studiously faithful. All gifts promote the health and the strength of the whole body, and therefore none can be safely dispensed with. All gifts depend on this fullness for power, and therefore all should keep in close touch with Him. And I thought that was so good. It's probably 30-some years ago when I first read that. But it's as needful today as ever. You are an important part of this church. Uh, We think about God adding to the church this morning, and I'm so glad that the Lord uh, added the Carters. And I I don't know just exactly uh, how 
God's going to use them. I've got some ideas and things like that, but but I know that He is because He's you know He's willing and able to use anyone that's willing to be used. Uh, years ago, whenever I was pastoring in Missouri, there by Baptist Bible College, and all these college kids come out, and you've heard me say this over and over again, but I always wanted a position or a title in the church. And, you know, uh, what, what kind of position can you give me? Can you give me a Sunday school class? Can you give me an office? Can you? And I always tell them the same thing. You just join and then you just wait on the Lord and trust the Lord and the Lord will put you exactly where you're needed. And, and I've got to tell you, and it is so shameful, I'll bet half of the people that came there asking that question didn't stay. They left immediately when they couldn't get what they wanted. Uh, which tells me we really didn't need them. We don't need people like that. We need people that's willing to do the will of God. And sometimes we, you know, we got to wait and we got to pray and seek God's will and wait on Him and let God open the doors. We don't, we don't need to go through life kicking down doors trying to make things happen. We just got to make ourselves available. And when we do, God makes us usable. That's a good place to stop. Make yourself available, and God will make you usable. It might be, hey, listen, it might be like some of these guys we've got, uh, you you know, that God uses cooking. Think about that. Darren goes up to the bass tournament up there and goes up up to the motorcycle place and I keep forgetting the name of that place up there. I don't know why, but they go up there and through a cooking ministry, you know, God opens doors for them to witness. And we've got Michael and Daniel and Rome and these guys. God uses them in that way, and that's an important part of what we do. Uh, and so however God wants to use you, just let him use you. You say, well, I, 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 just, I, I, I don't know. I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't think there's anything here for me to do. I heard of one person that said they don't need to stay in there or join in there. They won't let you do anything anyway. Well, yeah, we will. You just got to be willing to be used where you're needed. I was preaching up in Kaufman, Texas, probably 30-some years ago. And uh, there's a young man, he's, I think, 17 years old, and he'd just gone blind. His mother had been blind uh, most all of his life, but he had just gone blind. Let me tell you, that, that's a hard thing. When you've been able to see and suddenly you can't see, your eyesight is totally gone. And I'll never forget preaching that night in the revival meeting about, you know, letting God use you, and here come this blind kid. He said, I want God to use me. He said, I don't, I, 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 don't, I don't know how God can use me. I'm blind. I can't see. I, you know, I, I've got to learn Braille and all of that. I, so I, but he said, I'm willing to do it. Let me tell you, before the week was over, that young man had contacted hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people by calling people on the phone. Now, I, I, I don't know whether somebody was reading him the phone numbers or what. He just got a phone book, and however he did it, he just started through the phone book calling people, Hi, my name is, you know, whatever it was. I'm a member over at and Sessions Church, and we'd just love to have you come over and be in our services and so on and so forth. And, I, you know, I thought to myself, all of those other people there, 
were sighted people, other he and his mother. You know, they didn't have what we call a handicap like he did. And, and I've often wondered if any of them contacted anybody all week long. You see, sometimes not having a handicap is our biggest handicap. And we've just got to be willing to let God use us. So, look, you are important. You are a child of God, and God wants to use you. And if you'll let him use you, not only will you benefit from it, but this church will grow as a result of it. And this is a part of the worthy walk that we're talking about here. Walk worthy of the Lord. And to do that, we've got to be willing to let God use us however he wants to use us. It's not cafeteria style where you say, you know, I'd love to do this for the Lord, but I won't do that. No, it's not like that at all. When I surrendered to preach, I had no idea whether God was going to send me to China or let me, you know, uh, pastor a church. I had no idea. And, And by the way, back then it didn't make any difference to me. I just said, Lord, I know this is what you want me to do. You want me to preach, and I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go, do whatever you want me to do. And he started leading me step by step after that, and he'll do the same thing for you. Let's all stand together. This is our invitation. If you're here and God's speaking to you, we're not going to sing. We're not going to play any music. But if you're here and the Lord's speaking to your heart about anything whatsoever, it might be that you just want to come and kneel in prayer and and I'll see to it that nobody disturbs you. You just you you come, and if if you're here tonight and you're needing some counsel or help in any way whatsoever, why we encourage you to come. All minds clear. Any last word? Anything we forgot about, Kenneth?